I hesitate to give people a list of what's a good question because it really is different in every circumstance. But a good question is one that is going to make me as a strategy owner feel like I've been punched in the gut. Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone in the sound of my voice. And I am so appreciative that you chose to tune in to another episode of Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. This is the place where we really talk about from a real life experiences What does it mean to get from where you are now, overcome challenges, and get to get where we want to be? It's the distance between where you are now, where you want to be, and how do you get over those pesky little issues and problems and just road bumps and speeds. And here I I interview guests that are experts in their field, and I am so delighted today. And I know I say that every week, but I am absolutely positively thrilled for this conversation because First of all, it's very unique. We're going to talk about strategic thinking and why strategic planning and implementation oftentimes does not go the way we want it to go with an expert. And her name is Dr. Julia Sloan. I call her Dr. Julia. (laughs) She's the leading authority on the cognitive aspects of strategic thinking and is widely recognized for her pioneering work on the application of complex cognitive theory. So for all of you all out there, we're going to break that down into English because I'm like you. I'm like, oh my God, this is such big words. But she breaks it down into everyday practical experiences and how do we actually implement global business and public policies. She's the author of the definitive book, Learning to Think Strategically, and has written numerous privately commissioned papers and articles on the topic of strategic thinking for corporations, policy institutes, and think tanks. She teaches strategic thinking at Columbia University and has lectured at some of the more premier academic institutions, including the Brookings Institute, Harvard University, MIT, Beijing University, Central University of Finance and Economics in China. So she brings a wealth of global experience. She was awarded a Researcher in Residence Fellowship in 2016 and 2017 for the study of cognitive and conceptual role of the cognitive and conceptual role of metaphors on the development of strategic thinking. She's been the recipient of a Faculty Excellence Award, a Head of the Curve Teaching Award, Outstanding Teaching Award, and the Innovative Influencers Award. She's available to serve on nonprofit advisory boards and would love to do so, folks. So if you're out there, give her a ring, as well as she has served at several colleges during her career. I have to tell you that when I first read her bio, I was thoroughly intimidated. But then I got to know Dr. Julia. How you doing this morning? Good morning. Thank you, Denise, for having me. I'm so excited. I know. This is such a, 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 I mean, just, oh my God, this is so good. 
because part of it is, is the topics are just cognitive thinking, you know, what does all of that mean? But before we get into that, how did you get interested in this? Because I know this is the love of your life and it is not work to you. You know what? It is the love of my life. I absolutely am so lucky and so blessed to have something that doesn't even feel like work most of the time. But it's a weird topic. It's an odd topic. And to be honest, I never set out to have anything to do with strategy. I didn't even know what it was when I was starting my career. The beginning of my career was actually as a music teacher. And I had studied music. And so I started as a music teacher. And I was invited to to do some really interesting work and real interesting research. And I was giving a talk at a conference and somebody approached me who was a C-suite executive from a corporation and said, we need to talk tomorrow morning. We'd like to hire you. I had zero interest in business. I knew nothing about business. And anyway, I went to work for them. They said, we're going to ship you overseas. I was excited. I had done two fellowships prior to that overseas, loved it. And the rest was history. So they had determined very early on, they said, you know, you have real strategic thinking capability and you're really a good strategist. And then, of course, I had to learn out, learn what it was. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what it even was. And so I worked with strategy and I reached a point pretty early on where I thought, I have no idea why we're doing what we're doing. And later in my career, I continued to follow that theme of, I just had no idea what we were doing, what our clients were doing. It just seemed to me to have this huge disconnect, what we were doing in strategy and what was really happening on the ground. So that really motivated me. And that was kind of the the jump start to my research. So, so okay. I'd love to say I followed a career path, but mine was more like, you know, I spent a lot of time on the detours and, and side roads. And, you know, it's interesting because many of the guests that I have, and in fact, the people that I meet in general, all say that they thought they were going to start out on one little path. And then suddenly this light bulb went on and they went off. And I know a number of people, because there's a couple of new books out about it, where who says you have to pick a path? Somehow they all come together if you just do what you love to do. And that is so hard to do when you're trying to pay rent, right? Yes, it is. And, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that because I feel the same thing. I feel like you need to get yourself really grounded in something, anything. In my case, it was music. And then I had four throat surgeries and had shifted, completely pivoted and shifted to go into international law until I went to the Philippines and decided, you know, international law is really not what I want to do. Education is really the path that I wanted to take and really wanted to pursue in terms of making change. And I always tell people when, you know, students and when clients will always say, you know, what career advice can you give me? And I just think you have to be grounded in something, learn something, anything really, really well. And then don't be afraid to take those side paths. Don't be afraid to take the detours. You know, I think we're always taught, you know, get on that expressway, get on that expressway. But there's so much interesting stuff And learning is so cumulative that I just think don't be afraid to get on the side path. Don't be afraid to get stuck in the ditch for a while. Yeah. And I think 
particularly over the pandemic, because a lot of people have been very concerned about their careers and whatnot. The thing that I I try to tell, you know, in my speeches or in clients or whoever's talking to me, mentees, so the whole thing is learn to learn. Yeah, it's everything. It's everything in life. It's just everything. Yes. And if you can learn to learn, everything will really be okay. And there's a process to learning, whether it's getting more expertise in in what you love to do, or you're just experimenting. But the ability to learn and add that knowledge cumulatively, like you said a few minutes ago, is the thing that I notice. And if we have to say, what are the top reasons why people are quote unquote successful? Learning to learn has to be one of the ones. Oh, I I totally agree. I just think it's one of those things that adds a dimension of purpose Mm -hmm. and a dimension of richness, satisfaction, gratification to the whole experience and the whole journey of life. Work is, you know, this whole idea of categorizing work and categorizing life. You know, in real life, we all know they're blurred. So learning to learn is such a spillover into both of those categories. And I think if if you can tap on and really hook on to your sense of curiosity, mm-hmm. if you have to nurture that yourself because somebody else is not nurturing it. Right. It's just everything. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about kind of what brought you here. This idea of strategic thinking. Let's break it down because, you you know, we use a lot of big words in the beginning. This whole idea of cognitive theory to everyday strategic thinking and you know, the idea of cognitive and conceptual roles of metaphors. What does that mean in English? Well, they're they're kind of a mouthful of marbles, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and what it really means is what it really means is what I had said a little bit earlier. The whole term strategy, strategic thinking, strategic planning strategic management, strategic leadership, strategy, this strategy, that has become very trendy. It's become very fashionable in recent years. And I think it also has a degree and kind of an air of intimidation to it. And I noticed that in corporate, whether I was working corporate, you know, public policy or private sector, people were very intimidated by it. And I think that's because there's so much mis information and confusion around what it actually is. And so that was really the essence or really is the essence of my work is to help people to decipher what exactly is strategic thinking and strategic planning and strategic implementation. And so because I know that it's a term that people often associate with senior leaders, which is a myth, and they associate it very strongly with positional power, which is another myth. I wanted to be able to break it down into something that normal people just like us could really begin to contribute to. And so I, you know, developed what appears to be on the surface is a very simple triangle model just to bring clarity to people so that people can feel like they can contribute to this thing called strategy. And strategic thinking is just a huge, huge overlooked part of that. Yeah. And so you've kind of introduced us to your three-pronged approach or your model, the triangle that you're talking about. So the first one, if I remember reading your papers and whatnot, is really around strategic thinking. The second one is strategic planning. And then the third is strategic implementation. So let's just talk a little bit about each one of those areas. 
So strategic thinking, we all think we think strategically and certainly the C-suite when they go to, you know, those two-day retreats with the board, et cetera, to strategically think about the future of our company, et cetera. So we think we're doing it. But when I read some of your stuff and talked to you before, you made me doubt that we actually know what we're doing in those meetings. Tell me more. Again, strategic thinking is a term I think that's really underdefined mm-hmm. and misused. And it's not that there's not thinking that occurs in strategic planning and strategic implementation. What I think is a real key takeaway for everybody in any organization is to realize that the type of thinking that supports each one of the three dimensions, strategic thinking, planning, and implementation, is very, very different. So when we take a look at strategic planning, strategic planning really requires a cognitive cluster, a cluster, a basket of ways of thinking that support linear thinking, logical, rational, analytical thinking. This is something that most of us are taught very well and we learn very well. It's efficient to teach and it's efficient to learn. It's the kind of thinking that works very well on testing. We can get lots and lots of data from it. It tends to be very efficient. It's the kind of thinking that is is quickly being automated through artificial intelligence and all sorts of artificial intelligence because it is so efficient to teach and it is so efficient to learn. Implementation is where we just go out and you just do it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of habits and practices Mm -hmm. that we're not even aware of Mm -hmm. that need to kick into action. And I think most of the literature is on strategic planning and strategic implementation. And I think if we look at the reason for that, it's largely because of the absence of strategic thinking. So strategic thinking is really odd. It's really a very strange thing, but very exciting thing because it uses a very different cognitive cluster. And this cluster, and it's really a mishmash of of stuff, this cluster includes intuition. It's highly emotional. It's very visual. It's highly conceptual, which is something that we often try to, you know, yank out because we think, oh, I don't know how to do conceptual thinking or I don't get it or it's not clear. But if you're going to be a really good strategist, you need to be able to think conceptually. It's also a very divergent process. There's a whole element of imagination and creativity that fits into that cognitive cluster. It's also a highly social process. You can't really engage in strategic thinking without other people, whereas with strategic planning, I can sit in my office and formulate models all day and all night by myself. So again, it's very efficient. So it's really taking a look at the kinds of thinking, this cluster of thinking that supports the whole strategy process. And I think leaders today, more than any time, really need to be fluent at strategic thinking, strategic planning, and strategic implementation. When I hear you talk about it, it kind of appears to link a little bit with the model, or at least the way I, I talk about what are the what's the job of any executive or leader. And it's really about what's the vision. Okay, when we get there, what does it look like, right? What are we trying to achieve? And 
oftentimes it's very lofty, it's very esoteric. It, you know, we don't really know what it feels like, but we should be able to say what is different about tomorrow or a year from now or 15 years from now than today. And how do we think we're going to get there? And so that playfulness that it takes to kind of have, you know, really diverse minds in the room and not take it personal, but to really engage in possibility thinking for the vision is really important. From there, it kind of moves into your planning, I think, process, which is about resource management, time, attention, which we often forget. And when we have so much change, that attention really is an important piece that we have to pay attention. It tells us what the capacity of our people are able to do to move forward. And then the last thing is always the thing we, you know, we count the most, which is money (laughs) or cost on one side or the other. And then the last two things are the implementation piece, which is follow up and follow through. Yep. And so if we can get those kind of four things, I think it kind of lines up with your model a little. Does that sound fair? Yeah, absolutely. I think the missing link, you know, at the end of the day, the whole reason we engage in any kind of strategy practice is we want implementation. Mm -hmm. We want successful implementation. That's why we bother with the whole Mm -hmm. whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I think the missing piece is very often bringing in very, very diverse perspectives. And a lot of times I think that goes to What do we mean when we're looking for diverse perspectives? A lot of times, you know, particularly, I'm going to flag a little bit on C-suite execs here. A lot of times what we tend to do is we look within our immediate realm. Okay, But what we tend to forget is that within our immediate realm, within a corporate culture, within a public environment culture, we learn frames very, very quickly. We learn the taboos of this is not the kind of question you would ask here. Yep. Okay. We we learn it and we teach it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what people forget is the people within their realm and within their sphere have probably already got shared same frame thinking to a very oh yeah yeah. And so I think it's very important with strategic thinking part of this divergent thinking is really going like outside the company, you know, outside the culture Mm -hmm. and looking for perspectives, looking at outside the industry, Mm -hmm. looking at outside contemporary time and space, looking at outside of today, looking Mm -hmm. at what was happening in the, you know, 19th century, 18th century, 17th century. Is there a little nugget there that might spark a, a thought? Yeah. And making time, your your word play, making time for play, mental movement is just so, so, so critical as part of strategic thinking. And I think that has a hard time fitting in into the whole corporate notion of anything strategic. Yeah, it's and, and it's really the more data we get, because you mentioned, you know, getting there's this logical data the fact that AI can bring together and pull these these concepts and put it in a nice little package. And sometimes we look at the package and whatever it tells us, it tells us rather than kind of going, well, wait a minute, is there another perspective that this or another story that this data could be telling? Who's in it? Whose thinking is in this? Whose date thinking is not in it? Whose experience is not in that? And that's the piece, I think, if they go, if, you know, as we think about 
whether you're a C-suite, and I love the fact that you said any of us can think about and use these concepts to do better in our own life, right? <laughs> because I think too often we all are, I know I'm guilty of it, of head down, I've got my plan, head down, and I don't ever think about looking up to say, did anything change? And I'm just barreling through. And oftentimes I've found myself making it much more harder when if I just looked up, it would have been, I could have found a different answer. <laughs> exactly. Looking up and looking out. I love that. Looking up and looking out really with the expectation, with the, the real deliberate expectation that you are going to find something different. Yeah. Like you're really going on a search. When you look up and you look out, you're really going on a search to find something that's different. And this is really, you know, what strategic thinking is. It's take, and you, you know, I always say you can start strategic thinking anywhere. Mm -hmm. If you've got a really, you know, a knockout strategic plan, start there. But the intention of strategic thinking is to poke holes in it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a cultural shift that is really difficult to make is to say, you know, you've got ownership of your strategic plan. You've invested millions of dollars to either do it yourself or to outsource it. And it's probably airtight and really good. But what's often missing in terms of that moving into successful implementation is the absence of strategic thinking. Nobody has taken the courage to say, let me take this water balloon and you know take it around, shop it around and invite people to poke holes in it. And how do we do that? We do that through critical inquiry, critical dialogue, critical reflection. All three of those things are messy, messy, and messy. So and give me an example of that, because I'm not sure, you know, I, I, know, I know I know because that's my business out here. But if I were sitting and listening to this podcast, critical inquiry, I mean, I think I ask good questions. What would be an example of how do I take this plan and just kind of not look, I guess it is poking holes in it, but also asking people, do they think like I think? Do they see the same picture that I see? Do they see the same obstacle? But what would be really good grounded questions that somebody could ask? I think your point is so important that it's really good to ask people to, to first of all, you have to let people know what is the picture that you see. Yeah. I think the very, very best way to do that is to draw it. Okay. To draw the picture and then to invite, to really make it super, super safe and super, super fun and to embed it within the culture to say, so this is how, this is where I see us. This is a direction I see us headed. This is what it looks like to me. And you begin to add all the you know details to your picture. The best way to do this is through metaphor, draw a picture of your metaphor of the problem, and then get a group of six, eight, 10, 12 people. And their job is to poke holes in it. Okay. What are some of the underlying assumptions that you're hearing me say? Okay, what are some of the assumptions that I'm missing? This whole talk around, you know, critical inquiry, critical dialogue, critical reflection, those just mean poking holes, okay? And I think it's not, you know, I I hesitate to give people a list of what's a good question because it really is different in every circumstance, but a good question is one that is going to make me as a strategy owner feel like I've been punched in the gut. Oh, I'm thinking, oh, I never thought of that. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
that's, oh, that's different. Oh, that's odd. Oh, and really writing down those instead of responding to people's questions, because when we respond to people's questions in that sort of a strategic thinking circle, mm-hmm. what it does is it shuts down our ability to think because we're so focused on the response and the response is going to be a closed door. So I always say, you know, write down those questions and write down the questions. Thank everybody buy them a round of drinks and take those questions home for the next couple of weeks and really chew on them. Those questions are going to be fodder for more questions. Take it to another group and another group and another group. It sounds like such a simple thing. It is a simple thing, but it comes up with very, very profound changes when it's done sincerely. So it's tons of fun to do. It's new, it's scary. And I think more than anything else, and I will always tell particularly C-suite people who are doing this, I'll always say, it's not the questions that are so difficult to generate. It's taking the courage to invite a group of people to deliberately poke holes. That's the difficult part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking as you were talking about it, it is an easy process and difficult to do. Yeah, it's super simple. And I will tell you that it's super simple as a process, but it's a very, very challenging, emotional sort of an exercise to pull off. And what it really requires, it requires courage. Yeah. And I think that's an ingredient that we often don't think of when we think of strategy and strategy itself is full of risk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's just full of risk. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves and we have to remind other people of that, that it's a messy process. It's not a linear, logical, rational process. Once you introduce that element of strategic thinking, it's very messy. Yeah. And it's also not efficient. So I think you kind of have to mentally budget for that and to say there's tremendous, tremendous value in making it playful, make it playful, make it fun so that it's not threatening. There's no scores to keep for the sake of the business that we actually introduce strategic thinking. So once people kind of get the hang of that, it's just exhilarating. Yeah. In the end, because of what the product that you get, right? As you were saying, and I had this mental picture of there was a time when I was doing early speaking, I would tell people about, you know, I often talked about gut punches, right? And I tell them, I say, think about a time when you had a great idea. You've been stewing on this idea for a very long time in the shower. You've worked it out on a piece of paper. And then you decided I'm ready to tell my boss and you run in. And I mean, you've thought about it from the conception all the way through the implementation. You run in, you talk to your boss, and then she looks at you like, uh, well, that's a nice idea. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I got it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. How do you feel if that isn't a gut punch? Yeah. Because what you're expecting them is to be as excited and as thorough. And if they start poking holes in it, uh, what did you think about this? Well, yeah, I thought about that. What about this? Or yeah, I thought, or what about this? And you're just like, uh, 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 and your body just, you know, you can just feel the, yeah, yeah. the getting, oh my goodness gracious. My boss hates me. My boss thinks I'm an idiot. You know, why couldn't they have thought this was a great idea? And when you were telling that story, it just popped in my mind. That's often what happens. And the greatest difficulty is once that's happened, you don't want it to happen again. So you lose the courage that you're talking about. 
Because it takes a lot. Well, if they didn't like it, maybe, you know, what is it? Rather than going back and seeing that, first of all, knowing that the way the human brain goes is you can't just drill a new idea in front of people and expect them to go, oh, yeah, I see your point of view, unless they've been primed to kind of go along with it, right? Absolutely. And you start to suck out the air of one person after another, Mm -hmm. after another, that influences the culture and the the culture begins to have the air sucked out of it. And then you have leaders, you know, crying that they, you know, the thing they want most is some good strategic thinkers. And Mm -hmm. I think, look around, you've sucked the air out. Yes. And so I work so tightly and so closely in terms of working to embed, to really embed strategic thinking within the culture so that people realize that, you know, hey, this is just it's part and parcel of when you take on leadership responsibility. You know, you have a duty and an obligation to the business to engage in this kind of a thing. And it doesn't have to be like horrible, awful. It can really be playful and fun when it becomes part of the culture that I construct something. And then you know what I do? I take it out like a kite and I say, is this thing going to fly? Right. Invite people to come out too, because other people have different ways of viewing it. They have different areas of expertise. And it's a great, great, great way of including people who would normally not have anything at all to do with strategy sessions. And so once you get people involved and included in something like strategic thinking and just these bits and pieces, snippets here, snippets there, once you move into strategic planning, you get a very meticulous, very well-designed and articulated plan. The implementation becomes a piece of cake because people are already on board. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and then from there, it's really holding on to that transparency or that ability for the culture to continually poke holes so that when, you know, oftentimes, you know, we see these pictures of where's the leader in the front or in the back of the crowd, you know, kind of thinking. And I think it's, you know, you almost are at both ends of it, right? It's a leader. But when you're in the back, what one of the things you want is people in front of you really as feelers. Has anything changed? What should we consider Are you seeing things that are new on the horizon that we really need to bring back to say, you know, it's not so much the strategic thinking part of it or where we've decided, but how do we think about the implementation and should we speed up or slow down? One of the most interesting things I heard was on another podcast with Denise Conway. And one of the things she mentioned is, is that we have built a culture where cost cutting and the person who holds the purse strings winds up having the most important voice in the room. And because of that, it designs the way we think about things. And if we had, you know, post pre-pandemic, pre-virtual living or hybrid living anyway, if we had thought about having people out kind of talking about technology and what it enabled us, because I, you know, my business has been 14 years virtual. Most of my clients I never, ever meet. And originally the tools and technologies were quite clunky. But over time, they got better and better and better and were more useful, more useful, more useful. And now we're at a point where it's pretty easy for the most part to get around in it. But it's that kind of foresight that people who are kind of out here in different places can bring back to the implementation part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And where people feel like, of course, 
you know, of course my eyes would be valuable. Of course my ears would be valuable. You know, I have different friends than the person next to me. I have different friends. I have different books I read. I take different classes. I see different things, hear different things, feel different things. And where they feel like, of course, it would be valued. Maybe not right now. Okay. But letting those things have a place and a space to land Mm -hmm. where I always say, instead of just discarding ideas left and right, which we tend to do, especially when we're pushing through a strategy plan and we're like, we're calendar and clock driven. It's easy to just discard things to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he always brings up these far out ideas or she always has these completely off the wall ideas. I don't have time for it right now. Mm -hmm. You need to have a place and a space where you can put those things. Yeah. Having a basket that you can rummage through is mm-hmm. just so important down the road. You might not need it today, but it will become the fodder for more thinking tomorrow or next mm-hmm. week or for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Or a solution somewhere in it. I think one of the things that I often hear and see in organizations is this idea of, you know, in January or thereabouts, we all sit in these rooms again, making up these goals and strategic plans. And then we hit the ground running to do it. And then a manager or a supervisor will come back and they'll say, I've got five new people here. They just don't know how to do it. And I have to teach them or they have to put in a new, you know, technology system. And there's an idea that, oh, okay, well, you just kind of go in and play with it for, you know, like an hour and you'll be an expert on it. And then when the supervisor or the manager comes back and says, well, look, my people are having trouble with it. You know, you've got this leader who says, well, you just got to get them to use it. You just got to, you know, power them through. You got to, you know, whatever it is. And I tell folks all the time, when's the last time that you had an upgrade that it didn't take you at least a week to figure out what the heck happened, let alone (laughs) how to use it, right? And yet that's the capacity piece that we don't include in the strategic implementation. It's cost, it's time, but it's also capacity, the ability to deliver and be able to take in these changes, which literally knock us off our block. Oh, and they make people leave. You do that once or twice to somebody, people become shamed and they say, you know what? If they're not going to budget the learning curve in for me, I am so out of here because I'm humiliated. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, what we tend to budget for is often time and money, Mm -hmm. but there's this whole emotional component Mm -hmm. that I think successful strategic implementation is often missing. Mm -hmm. That missing link needs to be included at the start point. That's what strategic thinking is. I mean, you can, you can do strategic thinking for five minutes where you just say, ah, time out let's move into some strategic thinking. We must have missed something. Or you can do it for five, six, seven weeks. I think the important thing is that you begin to develop the capacity for this cluster of cognitions that I call irrational thinking, that you begin to value that, to know that that's what's required of strategic thinking. So I often hear executives speaking out of both sides of their mouth (laughs) of their mouth, they're just pleading and begging and saying, you know, why don't we have any good strategic thinkers around here? The one thing I'm missing is really good strategic thinkers. I don't know how to get these people to think strategically, but out of the other side of their mouth, they don't have any idea of what they're asking for. And they don't have a realization of what that cluster 
looks like. It's a rational thinking. It's not rational thinking. And most of us who have a business background have grown up really polishing and honing those rational thinking skills. We need those. We need those. We need to keep them really well scrubbed. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. but it's not enough when you look at the complexity of problems that Mm -hmm. we're facing. We also need this cognitive cluster that is going to help us with complex problems. And that's a rational cluster. Just for my own understanding, is a rational thinking early in the podcast, you talked about intuition. So this idea of the gut and, you know, and I, I know from research and whatnot, that intuition is really just, you have something in the back of your head, you've had an experience that's coming together, but you can't quite nail it. So it's not as irrational or gutty as people think it is. It really comes from very good cognitive pieces there. Thank you so much for bringing this up. A rational thinking, a hyphen rational thinking, this cognitive cluster that's just so important for strategic thinking is not the same as irrational thinking. Mm -hmm. Irrational Mm -hmm. thinking is wacky. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But arational thinking is simply, I always say rational thinking and arational thinking are kind of like two rooms in the same house. Arational thinking is the room that we often don't even know exists. Maybe there's a wall, you know, that's been put in at some point and we don't even realize behind that wall or behind that bookcase is a door that goes into this room where we've got this huge repertoire. Yeah of very, very expansive, complex sorts of thinking that require Mm -hmm. very high levels of cognition Mm -hmm. that we're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. So we've got this whole other room to our house that we didn't even know was there. Yeah. Rational thinking is the room that we live in most of the time. Mm -hmm. You know, we know the furniture, we know how to navigate it. We know how to, you know, paint it when it doesn't look good. We know how to polish the wooden floors. We know how to do all of that because we live in it day after day and we get rewarded for doing well in that room. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think what is so important to me is that in a complex environment like we're living in today, where there are no single right answers, yes, there may be multiple possibilities, but complex problems require complex thinkers. And in order to get to become a complex thinker, a person who can do that well, we need to know that that irrational room exists and to begin to play with it. Yeah, and how to tap into it and honor it. And honor it and play with it. Go there. The only reason that we're good at rational thinking is because we practice it all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's awful, awful, awful because, you know, we're out of time. <laughs> How can people get a hold of you? And more importantly, how can they get a hold of your book? Yeah, it's sure. learning to think strategically. Yeah, sure. If you are interested, you can go to learnstrategicthinking.com or you can also just type in my name for LinkedIn and, you know, shoot me a message. This is, this is something that is just, it's just more fun than work. Uh, <laughs> start playing with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you heard it first here, folks. And you know what I'm going to say, if you like it, please share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I promise you it will generate a conversation that will help you think strategically in that irrational or intuitive way. 
Our goal here is always to give you nuggets of things that if you just tweak them one step at a time, will help you go from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow and close that gap. I am your host, Denise Cooper. And if you like this, also remember to hit the follow button so that you will not miss an episode in the future. Thank you for staying with us. And Dr. Julia. Thank you so much, Denise. This is just a topic that we could just continue to explore. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.